I hope you guys are excited. Pastor Rick is a great pastor in Arkansas, a new, a new life church, a multi-campus church. But you know what? More than that, he just has a heart for the lost, a heart for the Lord. So you know what? Let's give a warm welcome. Let's stand to our feet and give a warm welcome for Pastor Rick Bazette. All right. All right. All right, give the Lord a hand if you love him. If you love if you love him. If you love him. All right, don't sit down. Turn to somebody. No, 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 don't sit down. Don't don't sit down. Turn to somebody that looks like they need a high five. Now, when you go to connect with somebody in a high five, if you miss, you'll feel like a geek. So so make sure you connect and then tell them to sit down and shut up. God is good. I, I am glad to be here. I'm going to tell you, I love this church. The hand of God is on this church. Does anybody agree with that? The hand of God is up on this church. There's a lot of hope in this chapel. And uh, I believe when you guys get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends <laughs> and, uh, and worship God. In fact, the worship team, they're amazing. Would you give them a hand? Come on. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Thank you, Tom and Lori and and uh, everybody who, who's participated in the service so far, uh, I certainly appreciate the hand of God that is with you. Take your Bibles out, your notes. We're getting ready to jump in to the Word of God. And uh, I've hung out with Scott a good bit. Uh, the last few days, he's been moving me around. And, and Frank, you got a great staff here. Don't take that for granted. I haven't met your pastor yet or his wife. I look forward to that at some particular time. But would you give the staff a hand? Because I'm going to tell you right now, they love God and they love you. <clears throat> All right, the word of God. I don't know if you love the word, but, but I'm going to tell you, culture, it'll lie to you. The word will not lie to you. I'll prove it to you. How many of you are old enough to remember back in the 80s? Ladies, let's talk to you first. Back in the 80s, how many remember your hair? Remember that? Culture lied to you. <laughs> Told you it looked good. Culture will lie. What about the guys back in the 80s? Remember that? Short shorts, tube socks, a fanny pack. Come on, man. If you saw that guy at the mall now, you'd call him a pedophile. <laughs> Culture lied to you. But the word, it tells you the truth and then gives you the grace to get it done. Let me show you what I mean by that. Raise your hand if you're married. If you're married, man, it's not cake to be married. It takes some work. But the word gets us. Think about this. Have you ever thought about this? The Bible tells a man to love his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, you look through it. It doesn't tell a woman to love her husband. It tells a man to love his wife. And then he knows that a man doesn't get it. So he bumps it up a level and he says, you love your wife like you love yourself. I find it very interesting. Because every man, even if they're not really saved, they know one verse in the Bible. Wives submit to the husband. <laughs> we can't put it on our refrigerator, but that's what we want it. <laughs> and, but the, we forget about the part that says a man should give his life up for his wife like Christ gave his life up for the church. What? We don't, we don't want to focus in on the other thing. But, but let me tell you something. The Bible tells a man to love his wife like he loves himself. It doesn't tell a woman to love her husband like she loves herself. Because God knows that a man, we love ourselves, man. A woman can look in the mirror and be beautiful, but she'll find something wrong. It's like, I don't like this piece of hair right here. 
But a man can be ugly, fat, hair on his back, in front of the mirror. What's up? We love ourselves. I mean, know what I'm talking about. The Bible gets you. God made men. He knows what a man needs. In one particular place in scripture, it tells a woman to smile at the future, to have joy. I've never met a man yet that wants to marry a depressed chick who hates everybody. But it also tells a woman to respect her husband, not to love him. Because if you ask a man what is love, he'll give you the definition of respect. Because that's what he looks for. And this is the reason why the Bible is something that you can crave and learn from. So that's where we're going right now. Can I have an amen on that? Look at this particular point. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Let's check out this. I want to talk to you about being real. Because fake is exhausting. And uh, some of you, you, you hang out from time to time with a, a person that fakes their relationship with God. And it's not a blast. Uh, the truth is, God doesn't like it either. And so if you're faking your relationship with the Lord, we're going to expose that today. I'm going to take my heart out. I'm going to even make some of you uncomfortable today. But we're going to laugh a lot because I'm a Cajun. And I'm from Louisiana. If it lives in a ditch, we're going to eat that. And, and we're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. You're not going to learn anything today, but you're going to have a good time. <laughs> okay? All right. So let's go to the word. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, and this is talking to everybody, not just men. Since we have confidence, everybody say confidence, confidence. but say it with confidence. confidence. If we have confidence or since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. This is so fancy. It's hard to follow. And since we have great, a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. We're going to break that down right there. In full assurance of faith and having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We're going to talk about that. And having our bodies washed with pure water. We're not going to talk about that. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spare one another on towards loving good deeds. We're probably going to hit that. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We might hit that. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Look at me. It's your move in life. And a lot of Christians where we get off track is we think, man, I just want God to move in my life. Well, that sounds cool and it almost sounds right, but it's not biblical because it's not God's move. It's your move. And a lot of us were just waiting around for things to happen, but faith without works is dead. Can, I, can everybody agree with me on that? It's your move. You are as strong in God as you want to be. It's like me. I'm not in that great a shape. I work out like twice a month. How many know that's not enough? And I worked out like nine times last year. That was really bad. But I do want to tell you, I'm as in good a shape as I want to be in. God's not going to fix that for me. I'm also as strong in God as I want to be. It's my move. So I want to help you make some good moves. The first move that I want you to make, write this down, is make a move like the scripture we just talk about, talked about, having confidence, having confidence in your approach to God. Write that down. To make a move, to have confidence in your approach to God. It's your move. Now, let me just be honest with you. I grew up in a church who was not like this. I love this church. A lot of people have heard about this church. I've been hearing about this church for a long time. 
Any church Mike Kai can get saved in has got it going on. <laughs> and I just love Mike. I love his heart. I now love the staff here. But I've been hearing about this church. The hand of God is on this church. But, but I don't want to talk to this church right now. I want to talk to you. Stop thinking this is a good sermon for a friend. And I want you to take this one personally. I want you to act as though this one's for me. I don't want you getting a CD and handing it out to anybody else, telling anybody to go online and listen to it. I want you to get this for you. How's your confidence in your approach to God? Mine for years was terrible because of the church I grew up in. It wasn't like this. I grew up in a church that was legalistic. Everybody that was there did not want to be there. Uh, they only went to church because it was Sunday and you had to go. And if you didn't go, they would preach against you and talk about you and put you under guilt and condemnation. When I was eight years old, my Sunday school teacher, she was like the meanest lady who ever lived on the planet. And her finger, I remember she'd point at me in Sunday school class. Her finger was like 30 feet long. And she would say, Bizet, that's my last name. You're going to hell. Hell is hot. That's the way she would do it. Hell is hot. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. I wanted to ask her, does the devil wear Prada? Because I know you know you're really close to him. And so she would tell him, don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. I don't know. So I wanted out, man. That was all I wanted. And, and the reason I wanted out is because I didn't think that God loved me. It's real bummer to try to serve God when you don't think he likes you. <laughs> when you are convinced that God despises you, you're not going to have a very active prayer life. If I were to ask you, how is your prayer life? If I was to word it this way and say, if everybody at Hope Chapel had a prayer life like you, what kind of praying church would it be? Okay. And if you kicked out and said, okay, I don't pray that much. I could just leave you there in condemnation, but that's not the style of Christ. The reason why you're not praying much is probably because you don't think that God really wants you around. Paul said it this way. He said, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But I'll say it this way. That's just not true. There's tons of condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. So was Paul wrong? No, Paul was right. The reason why there's condemnation on us when Paul said there's not is because condemnation is illegally attached to you. Paul was trying to say, you don't have to stay there. You can get up and you can get out. Paul said, every time I try to serve God, evil is right there with me, raging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of death. I want to do the right thing, but it's the wrong thing that I keep on doing. Who's going to rescue from me from this? He said, thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he said, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But yet there is. It's the number one deterrent that I see. If I get close to people, and I'm a pastor, I'm a relational type pastor, so I love people in my office. I, I love hanging out with people. I like talking to people and praying with people. And here's what I've noticed. People will open up their heart if they feel confident around you, and this is what they'll say. They'll say, all right, bro, I believe God loves me, but there's a few things that are in my life I don't think he can ever forgive me for. When you live that way, it's kind of like saying the cross was cool, the cross was powerful, but it wasn't enough. And the Bible says when you think that way, it's like crucifying him all over again. And a lot of you, because of some issues and things that you have done, you've built a camp around guilt. 
And it's kind of like you have backwards vision. The way that my wife drives a car, it's kind of weird because she doesn't use the mirrors. And I always used to, I tell her, I still do. I, I've given up sometimes. But I'll get in her car and her rear view mirror, you can see your toes in the, in the rear. It's like it's not helping. So I, I say, Michelle, you ought to use the mirrors. They'll help you. She goes, no, I don't need them. I said, why not? She said, because I'm not driving that way. I'm driving that way. Well, that's a terrible driving strategy. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's a great kingdom strategy. And some of you have better vision behind you than you do in front of you. And that's why God is saying, lift up your eyes and see. See the harvest. See what I'm trying to do. But condemnation kind of leaves you dead and behind you where you're not growing anymore. If you want to grow in God, there's no chance it's going to happen if you don't think that he loves you and that he's amazing at forgiving people. And you think about the heroes of the faith, the people in the word who made a big difference. Think about them. You got this guy named Jonah. He ran in the exact opposite direction than what God wanted him to go. But God still used him. You think about Moses. Moses, he got the Ten Commandments and he brought them down, but he was a murderer. And God still used him. You think about Noah. He was the father of all drunks. Abraham, he was 100 years old when it was time for God to use him. He showed up, God, and said, he said, I want you to have a baby. Go to Babies or Us this time. That's nasty, a 100-year-old person. But God used him. How about Isaac? He was a daydreamer. Jacob, he was a liar. Gideon, he was afraid. Moses was a murderer. Rahab, she was a prostitute. God used her. Samson, he liked prostitutes. David, he was an adulterer and covered it with murder. Elijah, he was suicidal. Isaiah, that dude preached naked. That's also nasty. John the Baptist, that dude ate bugs. Jeremiah was way too emotional. He probably listened to Michael Buble and took bubble baths, that dude. How about Peter? He did not even know him. Christ. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul too religious. Elijah was too suicidal. Thomas too negative. Timothy too many stomach ulcers. God used them. Lazarus, that guy was dead. God used him. So what's your issue? I'll tell you what your issue is. You got issues. We've all made mistakes. How many of you have ever lied before? A bunch of liars. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying now. And this is church and God's going to kill you. Ask my Sunday school teacher. How many of you have ever stole anything? Even a Hope Chapel ink pen? Busted. How many of you? How many of you ever procrastinated too much? Oh, the real procrastinators won't raise their hand till next weekend. Tom will be speaking next weekend in the middle of it. Oh. Can I help you? Oh, I just, I procrastinate. <laughs> Rick asked last week. I finally got to it. We all make mistakes. Let me tell you about a mistake my wife made because I'm more comfortable talking about her mistakes. <laughs> my son was going around when he was four years old telling everybody he was the pastor's son because we had just started this church and he was getting some extra cookies and kids ministry. And my wife didn't know about it and neither did I. And he just kept this going. She found out about it. She goes, hey, I heard you're going around telling people you're the pastor's son because you get an extra animal cracker in kids ministry. He said, yes, ma'am. It's been working good. She goes, she said, no, 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 no. That's not the way we roll. You don't walk around like that. Your name is Tanner. That's all you do. You just tell people you're Tanner. That's good enough. He goes, yes, ma'am. So the next weekend, a lady went up to him and said, aren't you the pastor's son? He said, well, 
I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. <laughs> if you think about what that can do to a church, if you don't get it, don't tell anybody. Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy, everybody say joy. joy. Set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. If you look at the Greek, this is what that means. It means he went to the cross for one reason, because he despises shame. But yet we live there. You can get to a place in your life where you realize that God does want to use you. Our mindset is to think, yeah, somebody else, but no, 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 no. Recalibrate you. Well, it's too late for me. No, 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 no. Show me one verse in the Bible that says it's over for you. You show me a verse and I'll change the whole sermon. But the whole story of the Bible is about how good he is at taking people who are undeserving and put them in a place that he stands in. And in fact, he even trades places with you. Your righteousness is as filthy as rags. The Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. If you think you're perfect, no one likes being around you. In fact, they like it when you leave because you're not perfect. We need the righteousness of God. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand. We need it, man. You ain't nothing without him. But with him, you can do all things. My son, uh, just to wrap this up, my son, when he was around three years of age, I wanted to take him fishing. His name is Hunter. He's my oldest kid. I got four kids. I got kids everywhere. One time a lady came up to me in Walmart. I had my four kids with me. She goes, you really like kids, huh? Those all yours? Yes, ma'am. You really like kids. Man, I got four kids because I love my wife. That's how it works. But... But anyway, Hunter, <laughs> I took him fishing and we, we, weren't, we weren't catching anything. I was disappointed because I wanted to catch a fish, but he didn't care. He just started throwing rocks. So I kept trying. Then I caught a fish when he wasn't looking. And I reeled, reeled it in real fast and I took it off my hook when he wasn't looking. And I put it on his hook when he wasn't looking. And then I let it out and I said, Hunter, how you come over here now? You'll catch a fish. I just feel led by the Lord. Okay, manipulation, but it's fatherhood to me, all right? So he came over, and he grabbed a rod and reel, and he's like, Dad, it is different. Dad, it's different. Dad. And he grabbed the fish. He was jumping up and down next day. I said, Hunter, what did we do yesterday? He said, we went fishing. I said, well, did we catch anything? He said, no, but you did. You, then you took it, put it on my hook, and then, the, then I caught it. I said, you, you knew that the whole time? He said, yes, sir. I said, why did you act like you were so happy? He said, because I was happy, Dad. I was with you. Oh, all the girls. Ah. All the guys are saying, it's about fish, man. My point is, you can get so close to God, and I'm talking about you. You don't really care what happens as long as you're around him. Number two. It's your move to dream dreams again for God. Look, we're all going to die and go to heaven. If you're born again, you're, if you're a Christian, you get to spend eternity with him. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. And the stats show, like one out of one, everybody dies. 
Even you, if all you do is eat organic food, you're still going to die. <laughs> the only difference between you and me is you are going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. <laughs> but not me, baby. I'm going with Oreo cookies <laughs> and steak and eggs and Reese's peanut butter cups. Everybody say, get you some of that. My whole point is when we get to heaven and you see the enormity of God, you see how powerful he is. And this is going to be the most preachy part of my whole talk without volume. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Volume. That's about it. But this is without volume. When you get to heaven and you see how powerful he is, the majestic side of God is going to freak you out with amazement. For the rest of your life, you'll want to praise him like crazy. But in heaven, the Bible says that he wipes away our tears, which means they have to exist while we're there. People try to figure out what this will be about. I have a theory and I'm probably wrong, but let's just go with it for a second. I think when we see how powerful he is that we may look back to now and think, why didn't I live on planet earth knowing that God was this big? If I could go back and live life again, I wouldn't be a ball and chain to everything that happens. When it was time to tithe at church, I wouldn't look for a way out. I would look for a way in. When it was time to do something for God, I would always jump in. If I would have just known that he was this powerful and this big, I wouldn't have lived the way that I lived I wish I could go back and just do it again. This is the reason why Paul said that we have to live as citizens in heaven because it changes the way that you live on earth. Dream dreams for God. There's this guy in the Bible, his name is Blind Bartimaeus. And he was a dreamer, man. This dude, he heard that Jesus was coming and his name was Blind Bartimaeus, which clearly shows us his name was Bartimaeus and that he couldn't see. Is anybody tracking with me so far? Okay, he hears that Jesus is coming and this is what he does. He starts freaking out, calling his name. Why? Because he had a dream, man. He starts saying, son of David, Jesus, stop. Well, the Bible says that the crowd got very aggravated with him. You can read it in Mark chapter 10. They, they were looking at him saying, hey, be quiet, bro. This, this is enough. But then the Bible says, but he yelled all the more. Because somebody who has a dream, you can't get them to stop yelling. They're going to yell again. If you just tell them, look, I'm tired of hearing about your dream. They're going to say, let me just tell you one more time. Because they can't stop talking about it. If you hang out with the staff around here, they got a dream. In fact, it's an amazing dream. If I were to look at some of them and say, hey, I don't really want to hear about it anymore. I'm only here for the weekend. And I have to go. I don't want to hear about it anymore. They would say, no, we're going to tell you because this is the way we roll. When you have a dream, you can't stop talking about it. But I'll tell you what's a problem. And that is when you love somebody, maybe married to somebody who used to have a dream, who's no longer dreaming, it's frustrating. Jesus hears this man yelling and he goes over to blind Bartimaeus. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but this is weird because this dude, his name is Bartimaeus and he's blind. We all refer to him that way. Everybody knew that he was blind, but Jesus goes over to him and asks the weirdest question. 
Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Everybody had to be thinking, Jesus having a bad day. He's not reading things right. I thought he was Jesus. He didn't even know he's blind. No, he knew he was blind. And what was he doing? He asked because he loves to hear what somebody's dreaming about. And maybe I came here to let you know that it's been a, it's been a while since you've articulated your dream. But whenever you do, God calls it as faith. He's in front of all of us right now, including me, saying, what do you want me to do for you? Let's talk about it. What do you want? What are you dreaming about? Look, if you're with somebody and you love somebody and you're sitting by somebody, let's say you have five people with you right now. You know exactly who has a dream in that group and exactly who doesn't. Joseph was a dreamer, and the Bible says that his brothers, when they saw him at a long ways away, they looked at each other, and they elbowed each other, and they said, look, the dreamer's coming. Because you can tell from a long ways away who's dreaming, and you can tell from a long ways away who's not dreaming anymore. Four types of people that are here, people that have no dream, and they're not enjoying their relationship with God. You have others who used to have a dream, and now their dream is murky and vague. They brought their dream down to wherever their faith is now. Then you have some people who have the wrong dream, like Samson. And then you have some people who are dreaming dreams for God. I don't know where your dreams line up, but I say dream dreams for God. Can I have an amen? Number three, it's your move to have confidence in your approach towards other people. Now, here's what I want to talk to young people, especially young people. If you're under 30 years of age and you're not married, let's go 40 and not married. I want to talk to you. I'm amazed how many people are intimidated by other people. It goes with men and women, young and old. But I am shocked on how every generation seems to be easily intimidated. Do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they don't like because they're afraid of the one they should pick? Do you know how many people do not make phone calls to restore relationships because what if it doesn't work out? Do you know how many jobs that are not applied for because what if I get rejected? Do you know how many songs that were written and never published because they never told anyone? Do you know how many ideas never come to full fruition because what if somebody rejects me? And it's just the fear. Look, if you have God on your side, you don't have to be intimidated by anybody. You can walk into a room with swagger and confidence. You don't have to be intimidated by anyone. Because God, if God is for you, who can be against you? Are y'all out there? I mean, it's just the truth. So young people, if you're not married, I had a guy come to me and he goes, Rick, I, don't, I, just, I just don't even know what to say to a Christian girl when I want to talk to him. It's like, come on, because this is a generation, I call them the texting generation. They don't talk, they just text. Hey, what up, baby? You want to be mine? No. <laughs> and then they break up on text. I guess divorce will happen on text before long. But here's what I've noticed. This guy came up to me and he goes, man, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. We have scones in our church. You know, I don't know y'all, y'all have that, but we have scones. So I said, well, just ask her, you want a scone? He goes, what do I do if she says no? Ask somebody else. What do I do if she says yeah? I said, eat it. So he goes up to this girl and he said, you want a scone? And she said, yeah. It freaked him out. He called me. He says, what'd you say to do if she says yeah? So I said, eat it. So he goes and he sat down. He sat down with her in our church. They ate the whole scone. The next weekend he asked her again, you want another scone? 
She said, yeah, they ate it again. They did this for six months. They were gaining weight. But in the month of June, they got married, married. I told them they got to call their first kid Rick because I'm responsible for that. It's amazing how intimidated people are with other people. That's enough of that. Let's just go to something else. I believe, I believe that God would also want us to have confidence in being real. Now, this is an issue that I feel like that a lot of people fall short on, on being real. Raise your hand if you like being around sincere people. Okay? The scripture says the way you get close to God is by drawing near to him with a sincere heart. All right? How does that apply? What I'm about to share with you certainly will not apply to most people. And if you're a pastor, because this is a pastor story. If you're a pastor, I'm not asking you to live this way because I don't necessarily think this is the right way to go about it. But I will tell you, when I was in Bible school, they taught us to fake our relationship with God. They still do it. And most seminaries, this is what they teach. They teach it. When you're in the ministry, it needs to be lonely. That you shouldn't have any friends. You can't get close to people. You have to be alone. I'm so thankful that the staff around here doesn't live this way. And you don't want to live that way too. But when I was in Bible school, I was very relational. I had a lot of friends and I was thinking, man, I'm not going to have any friends. I kind of have to live alone. So I thought they know what they're talking about. So I'm just going to do it right. So my first year of marriage, I got married when I finished Bible school. Also was in ministry that very first year. Well, my wife and I, our marriage was terrible our first year. We we're fighting all the time. I tell people it's like wars and rumors of wars back in those days. You know the verse in the Bible says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart. I was staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. <laughs> Just trying to get it. And I remember us arguing. One particular day, I had to speak to a huge church. And uh, probably 10,000 people in attendance that weekend. And I was, I was trying to prepare a sermon. But my wife, was she frustrated me. And to be married to Michelle, I'm just telling you, she's so beautiful. She's incredibly intelligent. She's a blast. But I just had some insecurities I had to overcome. And we're always arguing. And I remember she said something to me one day, and it was the biggest argument we had. This was about a year after being married. And I looked at her and I said, Michelle, shut up right now. I'm sick and tired of you. You drive me crazy. I regret being around you. Just shut up. And she looked at me and crashed. So she's crying, but I had to go prepare a sermon. So I go in my office and I'm working on this sermon. How many know the Lord was not really helping me much? So I got on my knees and I said, God, something's wrong with me. I'm hurting the person that I love the most. Please forgive me. And then immediately I could sense that he wanted me to go and apologize to her. But that's a whole nother level because my last name is BZ. If you want to know how to spell pride, it's B-E-Z-E-T. And it's hard for me to admit when I'm wrong, especially back in those days. So I walked back in there and she was crying her bottom lip, the way it was shivering. And I did that. So I apologized to her. It was awkward. I didn't know how to do it. So I had my hand out and I'm trying to help her. And then finally I said, forgive me, Michelle. I don't know what's wrong. She looked up at me with those eyes, those beautiful eyes. You know, the way they look at you. So... But when you argue, it's 
But she was looking at me like, why are you talking to me like this? And I'm looking at her. I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I said, let's pray. I asked her to forgive me. And we prayed. It's our first year of marriage. So then we made out a little bit. And uh, <laughs> come on, don't look at me like you holy. So then, then we made up. And then we made out one more time. And then I went back into my office and this is where it gets weird, but it was for me. So you got to filter this in your own way. I got back into my office and I said, Lord, thank you for helping me with that. And he said, I forgive you and so does your wife, but I want you to tell the whole church what you did and what you said to her. Okay, now I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> so, okay, I'm telling God at that point. I'm saying, God, I can't do that. God, I went to Bible school. You don't, that's not the way you do it, God. God, if you went to Bible school, they would clear that up. God, you need to go to Bible school. But he didn't move. I decided not to do it. And so I went in and preached a totally different sermon. Let me ask you a question. How do you think that went? It was terrible. So in the middle of the sermon, I decided to get right with God and by closing my Bible and closing my notes. And I looked over at my wife who was on the front row and I told everybody, I said, guys, the reason why this sermon isn't going well is because earlier today I had an argument with my wife and I yelled at her, told her I didn't want her around me and told her to shut up. And I, I yelled to them. I told them exactly the same volume. I look at my wife and she's like, And I said, Michelle, will you forgive me? Okay, here's what I want to let you know. The scripture I read earlier says this. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. I promise you at that moment, I felt closer to God than at any other point. And I didn't give a rip what happened to me in ministry. I was just enjoying being close to my Savior. And some of you have been faking your relationship for a long, long time. After that, I was counseling with this girl. We spent 100 hours trying to help this girl. She was depressed all the time. We was trying to help her. Finally, she, she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I said, look, Elise, I don't even know if you're really depressed. This is still right at the end of our first year of ministry. And I looked at her, and I said, Elise, I don't even know if you're depressed. I think you might just be wanting to hang out with us so you act like you're depressed because you just want to hang out with my wife and I. And she looked at me. I'll never forget that look. And I said, Elise... Maybe I'm wrong. She goes, I can't believe that you think I'm just over here because I need you as a friend. She said, I'm hurting. I said, well, maybe I'm wrong. She goes, I can't believe. She took off. She ran outside. She squealed out of my driveway. And Elisa went home. And she found her dad's pistol. And Elisa blew her brains out. Okay, the reason why I'm telling that story is not to get theatrical. I just want you to know that I killed that girl and I hated it. I hate talking about it right now. I didn't get in the ministry for that. So I, I walked through it. It took some time. But let me tell you the rest of the story. No one knew, including my wife, that that killed me. And then I realized I have this strange ability to fake my relationship with God. 
where no one knows. And it's not a gift from heaven. It took me a while to realize all that, but then I started getting real. I started calling some friends in. I started getting honest with them. And still to this day, they ask me the tough questions. Let me tell you something right now. You cannot do life alone. And the longer we're around Christ, some of us, because we get hurt in relationships. And then eventually somebody says, no one's going to ever hurt me again. So we just push people away. We push them to the side. But whenever you do that, they just hurt you again. Because you're not made by God to live alone. You're in the Ten Commandments right now. Maybe Tom or somebody has brought this out. But have you ever noticed that the first four commandments are all about you and your relationship with God? But the last six are all about your relationship with other people. If you get the vertical right, it's never just for the vertical. It's always for the horizontal as well. Throughout the word of God, it's always loving him and loving other people. Uh, you, you may ask God to forgive you of your sins. You may think all I need is the Lord in my life. That's not true. You need Jesus first so you can have healthy relationships. How do we know that God is dealing with pride into your, in your life until it's displayed out in relationships? We need the Lord. The Bible says you confess your sins to God, he'll forgive you. How many enjoy that? Man, if you want forgiveness, give the Lord a hand. If you want it and enjoy it. But, but that's not it. That's not all of it. There's another verse in the Bible says, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. I don't know about you, but I want forgiveness. And I want healing. It comes in relationships. Last point. It's your job to encourage. I believe your move. To encourage people in your walk with God. Look, this church, I'm going to tell you right now, this church is strong. But it was never intended to coexist with some and not all. You may be in this church and maybe you've come for years. You just come to Sunday mornings, take some notes and you leave and you've never really gotten involved. I'm going to tell you right now, if 50% of you give to this church, pray for this church, serve in this church, get involved in a relational components of this church, just believe that this is your church and you live like it. If 50% of you do it, then 50% of the vision that God has given this church can happen. If 75% of you get involved and just give your life to it, then 75%. But if every single one of you, this church never was started just to have some, but to have all. And if you come here and you're partially involved, I want to tell you, you can get through life in a decent manner, but you'll never be as strong as you could be. But the most important point is, Hope Chapel will never be as strong as it could be without you. It needs you and craves for you. When you see somebody hurting and you come to this church, encourage them. Reach out to them. The Bible says the tendency is for us to be proponents of, of making it a habit not to meet together. But we should encourage one another. When you see somebody who's struggling, maybe they normally clap, but this particular week they're not clapping. Go over. Check it out. Let's make it difficult for people to go to hell anywhere on this island by fighting for them, loving them, encouraging them, grabbing them, bringing them back, not pushing them out. The reason why the hand of God is on this church, and it's the reason I'm here, is because this church understands souls. Mike Kai got saved here, but I'm going to tell you right now, he's only one. There's probably been tens of thousands of people that have found Christ here. In the early church, the Bible says the hand of God was with them because many came to believe. I'm going to close out with the coolest, almost one of the funniest stories you'll ever hear too. 
My daughter, Haley, she's strong-willed, man, so strong. She's with me on this trip. She's not here this morning because she didn't want to go. <laughs> she was here Friday night because she wanted to go. She's strong-willed. I'm trying to raise that girl. Okay? When she, let me give you an example. When she was 11 years old, she's 19 now. When she was 11, she wanted braces because she didn't like one of her teeth the way it was coming in. So she saved some money and we saved some money. She was ready. She goes to the orthodontist. Orthodontist says, you can't have braces yet. You still have a baby tooth that needs to grow out and it'll fall out. Once it falls out, you can have braces. She looked at him. She said, you telling me when this last tooth comes out, then I can have braces? He said, yeah, it's going to take a while. My wife went to pay the bill. My daughter went into the bathroom. She banged on that tooth until it cracked out. Blood everywhere. She brought 11-year-old girl. You said when it's out, it's out. Okay, they call her the tooth slayer, the orthodontist. Okay, when she was four or five years old, she decided to run away from home because she saw a Hallmark movie of a teenage girl ran away from home. And she thought as a little girl, this would be fun. But she didn't want to go alone, so she talked her two-year-old brother into going with her. She wakes up, she packs a wagon, wakes up in the middle of the night, goes over to him. She woke up, her will woke her up. Because she couldn't work at an alarm clock, middle of the night, ding, ding. It's time. She goes in there to wake him, and he says, I don't want to go. I'm too little. He walks a little bit, goes back in the bed. She calls him a loser. She goes outside. She grabs the wagon. She, we're sleeping. She walks out of our house all the way down out of the subdivision to a four-lane highway. Down the road another mile, my wife and I are sleeping. This lady sees her and pulls over and says, young lady, what are you doing? She goes, I'm running away from home and it's so much fun. I'm just having a blast. And she goes, you need to get in a car. I'm taking you home. No, ma'am, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. <laughs> but you can walk in the middle of the road. Michelle and I are still sleeping. This lady follows her all the way back to my house. There's a knock on the door. I said, Michelle, did you hear that? She said, no, I didn't hear anything. Knock again. Michelle, somebody's at the door. Go see who it is. She didn't go, so I went down. Michelle followed me, and my daughter, who's sleeping upstairs, is in my front yard with this lady who I don't know. I'm just trying to put it all together. And they told me what I just told you. I thanked that lady. I gave her stuff, my house. <laughs> I was so thankful. Then I brought my daughter inside, and I'm just staring at my daughter. Here's what I know. If Haley wouldn't have come home that night, I'd still be looking for her. I was 16 years ago. I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find her. And thus you have a church. Lost kids everywhere. Be the kind of person and be a church is always trying to find somebody. Because when the phone rings, God wants somebody to answer it and to see if that's the one. As Bauer has no one looking around because I sense the Spirit of God here in a huge way right now. I don't know how you're doing in your relationship with God, but I do know that it can be really well. It can be really well with your soul. All over this place, no one looking around, but if you're here right now and you cannot say with total confidence that you're right with God, then I want to help you get back. No one looking around, but let's do this right. Let's say you've never been right with God. The Bible calls it being born again. Perhaps that's never happened in your life. 
But there's another group of people, perhaps you have given your heart to the Lord, but for some reason you don't have that edge. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You're trying to be honest because I've expressed a strong truth that the way that you get back with God is by being honest. This can actually be a moment that changes you forever. So if you're here right now and you want to bring Jesus as the Lord of your life, then all around this room, just raise your hands quickly. Come on, hands. Yes, 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 yes. I see hands all over the stinking place. I love to see somebody get right with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the decisions that are being made. Thank you for this church. Your hand is clearly on this church. Lord, I personally ask you to do everything you need to do for this year. Remember the latter part of this year to be the best year they've ever had. Lord, I pray that 2013, people will start dreaming dreams for you again and that everybody will jump in. But right now, for those that raise their hands, I ask for you to forgive them, Lord, of their sins. Things we remember and things we have forgotten. We need you in our lives, God. And trying to serve you without being right with you is just not working well. So I thank you for the cross and the power of your name. Forgive us, almighty God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Hope Chapel. God bless you.